Hello and welcome to this edition of Frontline Fundamentals. It's a new year, so we have a new series starting. We've titled this From My Bookshelf to Yours. And the basic premise of this year and, and, and this session, From My Bookshelf to Yours, every article in IP Magazine and then every uh, one of these discussions associated with those articles, we're going to pick a book. And we're going to talk about that book and, and some of the key points. And all these books should be uh, familiar, at least in title. And I hope that you've read some of them. And one of my goals with this is, is to encourage for all of us in our personal and professional development, uh, maybe to check out some of these books in however you like to consume. And so I will say a lot of this stemmed from the fact that last year, a lot of you, I think I know uh, and know this we at incident prevention and utility business media with myself as the author published a book called frontline leadership the hurt and in writing that book i read through a lot of other books and thought about uh quotes and principles and things and and one of my absolute favorites and and one of decidedly historically uh the most successful books i was I was looking at this slide earlier and I kind of giggled when I saw this line at the top of Stephen Covey's books that over 25 million copies sold. And so I am, you know, I'm, I'm roughly 25 million copies away, uh, 24 million, you know, whatever, uh, from catching. And I don't think I ever will. And I say that very jokingly, but one of my absolute favorite books and the focus of our conversation today, uh, as always, I'll invite you. You've got the chat window. Uh, you've got the Q&A um, or just the chat window. And so if, if you want to say hello to everybody, just to make sure that's working right now, and then make sure you send um, any private messages you want to send to just me where I can see them to host and panelists and or choose everybody if you want everybody to be able to see your comments. Those of you that... Uh, have been here before certainly understand the interactive nature of these um due to the the group size we we limit these to webinars which i kind of hate because that way we can't all really talk share cameras and all that but you can interact with each other and with me through the chat window you can if you want to raise your hand and we can unmute you uh if you have some some value that you want to add or anything that you want to discuss so I'm going to jump right in this concept again from my book, Self to Yours, and we're going to talk about the seven habits of highly effective people. And in doing that, one of the places I thought that we should really start is in choosing this book because we spend so much time at the Incident Prevention Institute talking about a lot of other things, but really categorized into three topics, leadership, human performance, and incident prevention, safety. And when you think about safety, one of the very first things you teach people and that you talk about a lot is, is habits. While there are good habits, quote unquote, uh, I get in the car and I put my seatbelt on. That is a good habit. But by definition, the habit is acting out of, out of un unconscious thought with very little monitor. And so when you think about safety and how we should lead safety and, and, and how we should work safely ourselves, one of the very first things you teach people is habits are bad. Like don't work out of habits, don't work out of habits. And yet the first book we chose for this series to talk about was the seven habits of highly effective people. And so I, I want to start by saying that Covey, Stephen Covey, the author does a great job of explaining that in, in a couple of things. Um, he, he starts by saying habits are powerful factors in our lives because they are consistent, often unconscious patterns. Um, and, and he says that, and, and that ties into what I just said. But then he quotes Horace Mann as a great educator. Habits are like a cable. We weave a strand of it every day and soon it cannot be broken. And here's what he says. I love this part. I know they can be, I don't personally do not agree with the last part. I know they can be broken. Habits can be learned and unlearned. And he acknowledges this isn't a quick fix. It involves a process and a, and a tremendous commitment. So most of us, I would imagine, view a habit something similar to that, acting out of unconscious thought with very little monitoring. 
And before we discuss the actual content of this book, I, I need you to understand Covey's definition for the purposes of this book of a habit. For our purposes, we will define a habit as the intersection of knowledge, skill, and desire. So when you hear the seven habits of highly effective people, don't think of these things as things we're going to do that we don't think about and we don't monitor. Think about them as the intersection of knowledge, skill, and desire. He defines each one of those things. Knowledge is the theoretical, the what to do and the why. Skill is the how to do and desire is the motivation, the want to do. In order to make something a habit in our lives, we have to have all three. Have to have all three, knowledge, skill, and desire. And I think that's a really good framework and a setup to start our conversation today, understanding for each one of these habits we're going to discuss, what is the knowledge, what is the skill, what is the desire? Obviously, for our purposes here, we'll spend most of our time focusing on the knowledge. We can't give you the skill and the will. And, and, and I often say, um, to, to be able to do anything well, you have to have confidence and competence, skill and will, right? If you are willing to try something and you become good at it, you'll accomplish great things. And so seven habits. He categorizes them. The first three are about private victory, personal habits for us. The third are more public victory, late relationships with others, working with others, those sort of things. And then the seventh habit, quite possibly my favorite one. I mean, they're all great. Sharpen the saw, uh, continuous improvement in all of these areas. And we'll talk about each one of these individually, but understand as we're talking about the first three, those are about you and your private victory. And there's a quote. If I want to change my situation, I've got to start with the one thing that I control, and that's myself. And that's why it makes very natural sense to me that the first three are all about you and your private victory and the second three public victory. The habits are about being proactive. Begin with the end in mind, put first things first. Those are the first three, the, the dependent private victory. The next three, think win-win. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Big one especially as we talk about specific leadership skills like communication. Synergize, public victory, from dependence to independence to interdependence, and within that framework, again, sharpen the salt. So what I want to do is look for look at each one of these individually, talk a little bit about what they mean, some of the key points, give you the knowledge, and then hopefully that will help you develop the skill and the will. Make these things habits because they work. I mean, if you if you went and polled, I'll poll you right now. How many of you have read this book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, before? Uh, let us know that. And then think about if you went and polled any expert on leadership, or if you go around most organizations and look at books sometimes they use, or posters they have on the wall, or quotes that you see somewhere, or, I mean, this program's used in organizations, in schools, all sorts of places. Uh, so, really good material that has proven itself over time, 25 years, to be extraordinarily useful. And so I hope you found this beneficial. And I'll tell you, what a great place to start. Habit one, be proactive. And we all probably have our own definitions and ideas about what it means to be proactive. A lot of that for this group, I would imagine, skewed a little bit from a safety perspective about the difference between reactivity and productivity reaction, proaction. He really talks about it as accountability and responsibility. And in the book, I hope you're able to see my screen right now. If not, you can imagine. But the word responsibility, and think of it this way, every time you hear that term forevermore, response-ability. You have the ability to respond. And it really starts with the gap between stimulus and response. In other words, something happens to you, how you respond to it. And we'll talk so much more about that concept being woven into. And so far, um, I am, as I thought about this series of articles and presentations, 
from my book self to yours. I've chosen the first three or four books for sure. And I have a pretty good sense of, of what the others will be. Anybody that's got any recommendations, I'd love to hear them. But one of the things, any book that you read on leadership, especially any reputable book, in some form or fashion starts with this concept of be responsible for yourself, stop the blaming, complaining, defending, and think about proaction, what you can do, focus on yourself. And so in the book, he talks about the circle of influence and circle of concern. And we've added into it in our frontline programs, the circle of control, which is you. And I love using this in any class I teach and sometimes even in just in coaching and feedback and whatever, because it's not just an image, it's a tool. I had a fascinating conversation with somebody yesterday about this as a tool. And this person was talking about in coaching and feedback, how she used it. And she would just ask people as, as they were sometimes some of those words we were talking about, blaming, complaining, defending, denying, making excuses, all those sort of things. It's a great and powerful question for anybody that understands this to ask them, what circle are you in right now? And we want to spend starting with our circle of control and hopefully expanding our circle of influence. We don't ever completely want to ignore our circle of concern, but we do have to understand the level of authority and influence we have at, at each one of these circles. Focusing in you know, on ourselves and others. Um, he spends a lot of time talking about proactive attitude and language, a whole lot more I can or let me try this or, or this rather than a whole lot less. We tried this before, this won't work, no, those sort of things. Maybe nothing more important about this habit, habit number one, be proactive, than that bottom line that you see right there, behavior is a product of conscious choice. Behavior is a product of conscious choices, actually plural. Our own. And if you believe this concept, circle of control, circle of influence, circle of concern, you understand your behavior is a product of your choices. What we like to do, though, is blame others or situations or circumstances or whatever for not only our, our actions, but sometimes even our choices, which ultimately is what leads to behavior. And another one of the books that I know for sure that we'll read as we go along through this series and talk about will be Jack Canfield's The Success Principles. And I'll mention it a little later uh, in this presentation, but the concept of E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome, is almost the same definitely not the same wording, but the same concept of really thinking about what is the gap between whatever stimulus I have and how I respond to it. Example of that, stimulus. I go to work today and it's 100 degrees outside, the humidity is 98%, sun's beating down on me. That's the, all, all the stimulus, the job I'm doing. Let's call it energized electrical work, stimulus. You combine all these stimulus. And what I really need to think about is before I respond to that stimulus, either by maybe choosing my behavior as a product of conscious choices, choosing to wear my rubber gloves or choosing not to wear my rubber gloves, choosing proper work methods, cover up these sort of things and not letting my environment and the situation time pressure, maybe some other things going on, impact my behavior. So huge concept there. And the knowledge that you need to hopefully lead to some skill and will on your part about being proactive is really understanding your response dash ability and understanding the only thing that you can control is yourself. That can be very difficult to do sometimes. Your circle of influence. Think about those people that your team, the folks that you work with every day from in a given day, if you drew a 10 foot circle or a 25 foot circle around yourself, who would stay inside that circle most of the time? That's your circle of influence where you want to spend most of your time and effort and focus your attention. 
and then your circle of concern is there. One of, I think a powerful way of explaining this, and if anybody wants to answer in uh, the chat window, feel free because it makes a pretty good point. Um, how many people work on your team? In other words, your circle of influence. How big is your circle of influence? That's if you're out in the field, that would be the crew you work with. If you're in an office setting, that would be the department that you're in. And even within that department, your team and the folks that you interact with most of the time. What's the size of that team? Think about that. And for most of us, and a lot of leadership principles say one person can effectively lead somewhere less than 10 people. So um, the different books you read might say different things about that, but let's call it less than 10. So let's define the size of most teams as less than 10 circle of influence. Now think about this. How many people work at your whole entire organization? And the next thing I would want you to think about is decidedly, I hope it's our goal that we keep everybody safe. Nobody gets hurt. Everybody's protected. We have the right programs. We take care of people. And we understand people are our greatest asset and we do everything we can to make sure that everybody goes home in the same or better condition than they left. All those sort of things. Safe. How much control and influence do you have over your own safety? Now, if you believe habit number one, I hope your answer is very close to 100%. Let's start with that. How much control do you have or influence do you have over the safety of your team, those less than 10 people that you work most closest to? And because everybody would probably say, yeah, I'll, I'll make it my goal and I won't and I'm concerned about I don't want anybody in my organization to get hurt ever. And that's a great goal and a fantastic attitude. And we should all think that way. But directly, how much control or influence do you have over the whole entire organization? And how much time and effort are you going to waste if you try to keep the whole entire organization safe, especially if it's an organization geographically dispersed with tens of thousands of employees, which I know some of you work for. It's got to focus on your team to be effective and yourself. So I love that habit. Habit number one, be proactive. And again, this is a whole lot more centered right now on us. If we, if we go back to the what we were just looking at, private victory, okay? So we start with being proactive. Then we begin with the end in mind. And we got to think about a couple of questions. First question, what is my desired outcome? That ties back into this concept of um, E plus R equals O from Jack Canfield world and R. I thought about STAR, the self-checking tool from human performance. Stop, think, act, review. Here's the stimulus. I'm getting ready to do something. First thing I should do, stop, brief pause. Think about it. what do I want my outcome to be? What does this look like before I act in the review and, and, and whatnot? But a clear understanding of your destination and what is important to you. So the first question is, what is your desired outcome? In other words, is your ladder Covey says it this way in the book, leaning against the right wall. Because if you're not, if your ladder is not leaning on the right wall, as he phrases it, every step you take, every move you make, takes you farther in the wrong direction. Implications for us as leaders and implications for us as safety leaders, huge implications. Coaching and feedback. There has to be a standard established before coaching and feedback can happen. I can't very well give you directions to where I am right now, unless I know two things. Number one, I got to know where I am, which hopefully I know. But I also have to know where you are. Think about it. If I'm, if I'm right now in, I don't know how to make this work. If I'm in North Carolina and I don't know where you are, I might could say, you get on I-77 and drive north. That works really well. If you're, say, like, well, if you were in Florida, you'd have to get on 95. Or if you're in South Carolina, that would work really well. But if you're in Virginia and you get on 77 and drive north, that's not going to help you much. So clear understanding of where you are and where other people are, your destination is required for coaching and feedback. Goal setting, standards. Clear understanding obviously implies that something has been communicated and is mutually understood between two people. At the organizational level, this is also about 
what are our values? What kind of culture are we creating? At the team level, same thing. And at the individual level, what is going to be my basis for decision-making? Huge implication, safety. Not to get into the semantics of it, and I won't even go there right now, but like safety is our top priority. There's a problem with that. Safety should be a core value. And if something's a core value, the one thing that's going to happen with it is that's part of that wall that my ladder's leaning against. And every decision I make is going to involve a thought process and, and safety is going to influence that decision. And so I hope that makes sense. And I, I'm sure some of you maybe have heard that star tool before, that concept of event plus response equals outcome and really think how these habits, each one of them separate by itself is fantastic. But think about how they start to work together. Habit number one, be proactive. The gap between the stimulus and response and our behavior is a product of conscious choices. Now we understand, begin with the end in mind, those choices have to are based on what our values are. And now we even have tools, specific tools, E plus R equals O, star that self-checks, verification practices that can help in our decision-making. Very clear understanding of your destination, what's important to you. The third and last individual principle, put first things first. Covey says it's the fulfillment of habits one and two, be proactive, understanding we are in charge, and begin with the end in mind goal set. To create what we want, the exercise of independent will toward becoming very principled center. Now, a lot of people, you know, first things first, that's where we start getting into sometimes a misunderstanding of, well, we're talking about priorities and priorities change based on our circumstances, not the case here. What's always going to be important to me in a work environment on your team and for everybody else, I think this is where that confusion creates a lot of mixed messaging around safety and the concept of, I'm either safe or I'm productive. Couldn't be farther from the truth. First things first, guess what's important? Safety is important. Product, productivity is important. Guess what else is important? Quality, customer service, system reliability. Those goals and metrics put first things first. And I hope in terms of leadership, you understand, put people first. So clearly establishing, put first things first, the combination of principles one and two will lead you to understand exactly what it is that you want and how to get there. Knowledge, skill, and will. Then we shift gears towards public victory. So those things are about private victory. Then we talk about public victory. I love this one, think win-win. Win-win is a philosophy, a frame of mind, and a mutual benefit in human interactions. I won't come back to that thought, but really think about a mutual benefit in human interactions. Cooperation over compromise, that to me is huge. This takes decidedly on your team and in your organization, in, in my opinion, prerequisites of culture and alignment. That's where I mentioned, you know, some of the motivation for this was the fact that I wrote a book and read this book as part of my research process for the book I wrote. The book I wrote, Frontline Leadership, The Hurdle, is based a lot on the premise that the, the hurdle, culture and relationships, things like alignment, and the, the, the thought process there is if you think about a hurdle, track and field, literally a hurdle that you're going to jump over, and you're just standing still in front of that hurdle, it's very difficult to jump over. But if you get the run up right, getting over that hurdle becomes a lot easier, if not simple. And so think win-win can be done separately, but I think it requires a little bit of that run up. And I think Covey gives us a ridiculously insane amount of wisdom and insight into what that run up should look like as far as culture creation and developing relationship. But I know, I don't know about you, but I do know this in my whole life and my upbringing and probably 90% of the training that I've been through professionally. Anytime the, the topic to conflict resolution comes up is what really got me thinking about this concept of think win-win. Because I remember it was very shocking and enlightening to me 
of what you see on the screen right now as far as this dual concerns model. And this is from a book called Negotiation and Social Conflict, um, where we plot on the x-axis the interest of ourselves and on the y-axis the interest of others. And this is really interesting because think about, like I said, your whole life you're taught what? Anytime there's conflict, conflict is bad and we should compromise. First of all, conflict is not inherently good or bad. It can be very beneficial. And I am not saying, I want to be crystal clear about this, that compromise is a bad thing. What I am saying and implying is this. Compromise, by definition, means we both give something up. So think about this. If I'm only interested in myself, I'm competing. If I'm only interested in you and not myself at all, in conflict, I'm yielding. If I'm not interested in anything, and unfortunately, a lot of times our number one strategy when we deal with conflict, I'm avoiding it. Just hope it goes away. And so somewhere in the middle of all that is compromise. But really think about this. If we balance ourselves and others, and if we have created the right kind of culture, and if our team and our organization or whatever group we're talking about is aligned, and by aligned, think about what we just talked about in terms of be proactive. Begin with the end in mind. It becomes very possible for us actually to cooperate. Really want you to think about that. Go back through the habits. Be proactive. Begin with the end in mind. Establish a clear set of values that will be the basis of our decision-making, understanding those. Put first things first. If we do that, Individually, as a group, as a team, as an organization, it becomes possible to cooperate rather than just settle for compromise, which in and of itself can be difficult. So when you say or when Covey says this is a benefit, mutual benefit and in human interactions, understatement, way understated there, our ability to think win-win. And then maybe the... Uh, one of the ones that's decidedly most referenced, especially I think in a school setting, and for a reason, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Empathetic listening inside another's frame of reference. Really important, that last part of that. It's kind of easy to listen in terms of hearing words that people say. Empathetic listening inside another person's frame of reference, a little bit more difficult to do. I can't help but think there about incident investigations and how long before, how often before we ever ask a question, have a conversation, before we seek to understand, if you will, how often do we just read an incident report and say, oh, well, I know what happened. And that was just crazy, stupid. And that person should have never done that. And, and some of those things like that. That's an example of, yeah, we heard what happened. And maybe we've even talked to somebody and heard the words they were saying, but the whole time in our mind, we were in our own frame of reference about how we would work, what we would do, and not thinking or, or giving any consideration to the environment that that person were in. And, and the concept that, hey, you know what? Maybe what they did actually made sense to them at that moment in the environment that they were in. The thing is, you'll never know unless you empathetically listen inside another's frame of mind. And this one's so great too, because this is, at least when I teach, and I think when most people teach coaching and feedback, this is a true statement. But one of the things I say is understand the difference between performance, behavior, and results. And performance equals behavior plus results. And you can't really sometimes understand behavior without asking questions. So think about this. Seek first to understand. Diagnose before you prescribe. Then seek to be understood. The way I phrase that is never, ever, ever under any circumstances and for any reason, good or bad. We're not talking about like feedback like you screwed up. This could be like, hey, you did a good job feedback as well. Never do any of that until you understand the behavior driving those results, which if you put those two things in combination, you end up with performance. So understand performance. Seek first to understand. You do that through observations. You do that through conversations. Um, 
because sometimes it's easy to observe someone's behavior or the result of their behavior. What you don't understand is the choice they made, the behavior that occurred that ultimately led to that result. Think, you know, hopefully you understand, maybe that'll make sense if I ask this question. Is it possible to do everything 100% completely right, follow every rule, every procedure, and still get hurt? Absolutely it is. Can I have a recordable injury and be following every single safety rule you have? Yes, absolutely, it, it, that can happen. Sitting still at a red light with your seatbelt on and you get rear-ended at an intersection. And you end up in the hospital with whiplash or something like that. I, 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 could, I could give you a whole lot of examples. I will acknowledge most injuries and incidents that occur in the workplace are not necessarily fall into that category. But nonetheless, seek first to understand, diagnose before you subscribe, prescribe, and seek to be understood. And as I was, I mean, because when we teach communication, that's one of the things that we teach is communication is actually very easy. Effective communication is very, very difficult. The only difference between the two is two words, mutual understanding. In other words, communication is exchanging thoughts, feelings, ideas, messages, whatever else. That is super easy to do. I am communicating right now in a lot of different ways. I got some hand motions going on. I'm like, I've got some words I'm saying. There's some images. Um, there's a lot of things going on. I'm communicating. Am I effectively communicating? Don't know. Because right now there is no feedback loop. And so communication, effective communication, mutual understanding. Looking at this, this is exactly what this diagram down here says. And in the communication process includes at least a sender or multiple senders, the message that they're sending, the media that they're going to send it through, a whole bunch of obstacles. Things like language barriers, education levels, uh, distractions, interruptions, personality conflicts, attitudes, mindsets, and how we filter information, receivers, and feedback. And the way I typically explain this, and it, it blows people's mind when I first say it, but then it starts to make sense as we explain it, is I propose that we're better communicators when we don't speak the same language. Say that again. We're better, meaning more effective communicators, and we just describe effective communication as resulting in mutual understanding when we don't speak the same language. That's a pretty bold statement to make, but it makes sense if you think about it, because it's a great leadership lesson. It's a great communication lesson and associated with this habit of seek first to understand and then to be understood. It is a great example of all is if I know we don't speak the same language, my shift, my focus shifts from me and my message, what I'm trying to say, what I want to say almost exclusively to you and the feedback that I'm getting from you. Now, decide, does that take more time and effort? Absolutely, it does. Is it harder for me? Absolutely, it is. Key question there, is it worth it? Yes, it is. So in terms of leadership, is it worth to think more about other people and their needs and wants and feedback than yourself? more on what they have to say than what you have to say. Absolutely it is in terms of communication and everything else. And I think that's exactly what Covey's saying with this habit. And he says this, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, I will read this first bullet again. Communication is the most important life skill. We could make the case for a whole lot of life skills, and we could make a whole lot of cases for a whole lot of things about leadership, trust, and, and a whole lot of other words that come to mind. But think about anything that you try to do, right? You could know really well how to do something, but if you're not an effective communicator, it might be very difficult for you to explain for somebody else how to do something, whatever that thing is. Um, we were talking about coaching and feedback earlier. You could be able to observe somebody, understand their behavior, performance, those the words we just talked about, have exactly the right message to give to them on what they either need to continue doing or do differently. And if you can't communicate it, probably not going to happen or happen well. 
There could be a change that's a really good change that you're trying to implement that's going to be a benefit to mutual benefit. Think win-win to you and everybody else. But if you don't have the communication skills, it may get filtered the wrong way or misunderstood. It may actually be something that was going to be mutually beneficial. Now it's not. Not because of the change itself, but because of our inability to communicate. Communication is the most important life skill. There's a key word in that statement. The key word is skill. The reason it's a key word is because anything that's a skill, by definition, can be learned, practiced, and improved. How do you improve your communication? In, in a simple word, practice. And we can get into a lot more detail of that. Uh, that, that is a topic we spend a whole lot of time on inside the Frontline program. Uh, and it's a topic that's been covered in a couple of my Frontline Fundamental articles, I believe the year before last, if you want to go back and look some of those up. But uh, think about that. Communication is the most important life skills. One principle that should drive your communication. Now we're really starting to, right? Begin with the end in mind, put first thing first. What's important to me? Myself or others? What's important to me? What I want to say or what other people have to say? What's important to me? Understanding others or being understood? Really start to think about how we, um, how these things really work with each other and complement each other, even though every one of them, again, by itself is a fantastic principle and a fantastic habit. And remember our definition of habit, knowledge, skill, and will, um, where they intersect. Synergize, synergize, work together because the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. This is the importance of relationships, the hurdle, culture, developing relationships. Synergetic, this is a huge statement. This to me, I hate to say it's one of the, I mean, if you read through this book, it's like every other sentence you read, you could say this about, but this is one of the most powerful statements in the book. Synergetic. And we go back here, right? I mean, think win-win. What were we talking about with the dual concerns model? It's win-lose, right? If I'm competing, it's I win, you lose. Or I lose, you win. Or we both lose. So synergetic, win-win. Synergetic, synergize. Think win-win. Communication can only happen where trust. Now we're into some principles of leadership. As we put it in the frontline program, right? We talk about C5 leadership, competence, commitment, caring, courage, and at the bottom, the foundation of all that other stuff, credibility, trust, can only happen where trust and high levels of cooperation, not compromise, but cooperation again, and that implies a whole lot of cultural and alignment things have gone into it, but synergetic win-win communication can only happen where trust and high levels of cooperation exist. That is such a powerful statement. How well, and questions to ask yourself, it's not even how well sometimes, do you enjoy working with others? Do you enjoy being part of the team? Do you enjoy seeing other people succeed? Or are you competing sometimes for no reason? Or are you yielding or avoiding some of those words? Synergetic think win-win. And relating it back to safety and a lot of work that a lot of you do or oversee or involved with or whatever the words may be. Safety, I said earlier, I, I truly believe an individual safety is in their circle of control. I can keep myself safe. My team and the folks that, that I work around can make that very, very difficult for me. Very difficult for me. And, but you, you have to almost believe that you're responsible for your own safety. And, and I think sometimes we confuse that messaging, but, but I want you to think about how much better, how much safer can I work if I'm part of a team that we identify hazards together, that we talk about how to control those hazards, that every single person on the team, myself included, is comfortable having that questioning attitude, stopping when unsure, asking questions. And when we do those things, the, the rest of the team is respectful and addresses our concerns, answers our questions, helps us find solutions. 
decidedly safety and a whole lot of other things I can do better as part of a synergetic team than I can do by myself. That is not to say I can't do it by myself, but it is to say the whole is almost always greater than the sum of its parts. And then the last one, I, I think I've said this about all seven of them, and I apologize if I have, but maybe my favorite. And it, right, what would you, what would you, if you had to, everybody type in the chat window right now. I mean, if you had, if somebody literally forced you to choose one of these habits, um, and, and I'll put them all back up there here in a minute. Um, let's actually do that now. Just uh, there's no right or wrong, uh, but be proactive. Begin with the end in mind. Put first things first. Think win-win. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Synergize. Sharpen the saw. Which one would you choose if you absolutely had to choose just one of them as quote unquote your favorite habit? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe for me, this would be mine, sharpen the saw. And there's the story of the person, basically two guys out in the, out in the woods with chainsaws working. And the, the imagery there is you've got this sort of younger, real healthy go-getter who's just all over the place, working real hard, working real hard. And then you've got this more experienced worker um, taking breaks every now and then, working a, a, at a little bit of a slower pace and whatnot. And so, you know, you immediately think, well, surely that young guy going crazy, running around like a maniac all over the place, the pile of wood that he's cut has got to be bigger. But then if you look, no, the guy going slower actually has um, more wood cut. And then seek to understand. Maybe you go ask them a question, and each one of them, well, you know, and you go ask the first guy, hey, this pile's bigger than yours. Why? And the guy's like upset about it. I don't know. I'm working hard. Well, I'm tired. He keeps taking a break every like 15, 20 minutes. And I just, I literally cannot understand why I'm not doing more work than he is. It just doesn't make sense. And then so you go seek to understand again, talk to the other person. Why, why is your pile big? And come to find out those weren't always 15 or 20 minute breaks. That was stopping to sharpen the saw. And by sharpening his saw, his saw works better. It's doing more work. He's using actually less energy, working smarter, not harder kind of concept. So that's the, the story behind sharpen the saw. The detailed explanation of it is at an organization we can and should and, and absolutely is true, the people are its greatest asset. For you, yourself, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, you are your greatest asset. Now, if you don't believe that, that's probably a problem um, in terms of your ability to succeed. At, at even task level, but at a, at a career and personal and professional level as well. You are your greatest asset. And Covey defines four dimensions of your nature and talks about how to sharpen the saw in each one of those. Physical nature, spiritual nature, mental nature, social, emotional nature. And I think some of these words help with, in your physical nature, that's probably the most obvious one. For most of us, exercise, physical exercise, nutrition, stress management, those sort of things. How well do we take care of ourselves physically? The spiritual, value clarification and commitment. That sound familiar at all? The things like begin with the end in mind and put first things first, maybe. But value clarification and commitment, study and meditation. The mental aspect of yourself, reading, visualizing, planning, writing, developing your competence in terms of your soft skills might be another, another way of saying that. And then social and emotional, service, empathy, synergy, a couple of those words we've mentioned already, intrinsic security. So think about each one of these parts of your nature and then think about how to they're skills, again. We talked about anything that's a skill can be learned, practiced, and improved. And, and, and maybe rather than the word dimensions, maybe think of your skills or, or however you want to say that. But how can I improve myself 
physically? How can I improve myself socially and emotionally? How can I improve myself spiritually? How can I improve myself mentally? And I would really challenge you and, and maybe even build off of these, but make a list of one thing you could do every day. It could be simple. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I started doing um, was picking out some of my weaker areas that I don't focus on, right? Like I eat horribly, but I'm, I'm decently disciplined about exercise. And I, I, I get some form of exercise almost every day. Some days I even do like two a day kind of things or whatnot. So what's really easy when you're thinking about this is, is, is to focus on that, what you're already good at, what you already do. But one of the things is, as I was thinking about this and reading through it, that this habit really challenged me about was, for instance, the reading part. I don't do a lot of that. I don't necessarily love to read, but one of the things that I've started doing is I said, you know, do one small thing each day. So make it find books, great books like this one, reputable books. Read five pages of it every day or three pages or to wherever you want to start and then maybe build up to 10 pages. What can I do to improve myself spiritually? How can I be more empathetic? Um, and I think, you know, within... Because the, I don't know if you noticed, and I love this graphic right here, but notice the seventh habit. We've got these habits of private victory and we've got these habits of public victory. The seventh habit of sharpening the saw includes all those and goes all around those. And I absolutely love literally almost everything about this book. I mean, I, I, I can't stress enough. The reason that I chose it for the first article in this series is because it's almost a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer in David's opinion. Like if there was one book, and people ask me this kind of question sometimes. Hey, if you, if, I like to read. I want to improve my leadership skills. Or I've got this cultural thing going on at work. Or I'm having this problem with this, this coworker, you know, whatever. You know, what can I do? And in terms of confidence, a lot of times, reading books and whatnot can help anytime that I'm recommending a book in a professional or a personal development sense. This is always number one. I mean, there, there's some books that maybe are more useful for specific things than others, but just as a like comprehensive, I want to be a better insert, whatever words you want here. I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better teammate. I want to be a better person. I want to be more successful. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better son. I want to be a better daughter. I, whatever the word is that you insert right there, something, if not everything in this book, will help you answer that question. So I, I, the thing I would definitely challenge you to do, if you're the kind of person that likes to read, is to go out and get this book if you don't have it already. If you have it already, I would go get it and read it again. If you're not the kind of person that likes to read, maybe check out the audiobook version of it if, if one's available and for it, it is. Um, and, and I did mention that, um, here's my contact information. If you want to discuss any of this more and for anybody that's interested in my book as well, frontline leadership, the hurdle, um, incorporates some of these principles for sure. I, I will easily and readily confess. I don't say it as well as Covey. Um, but the, the interesting thing about that book is it is phrased and intended for, exactly you people that work in the utility industry uh and and some of the specific challenges and scenarios that you face and whatnot so um grab your camera on your phone scan that if you're interested on it or, or you can go to amazon or really about wherever they sell books and and look for that book frontline leadership the hurdle and also covey's book um the seven habits of highly effective people so i, I guess i would close with this challenge is Make all seven of these habits a habit for you. You can't go out and obviously start doing all of them 20 minutes from now. But understand the words. Think about what it means to be proactive, to be synergetic, to think win-win, to begin with the end in mind. Seek to understand and, and use those and apply those. The more consistently you do that, he uses the word effective, and I couldn't agree more. The more effective you will be, 
but I also can almost guarantee you, you could replace the word effective with successful. And there's different ways of defining success for sure, but um, powerful lessons in personal change. Um, the seven habits of highly effective and successful people. Great book, great read. Um, again, I, I hope that you will continue to read my articles in IP Magazine, continue to come to these webinars. I jokingly and seriously at the same time always say um, they're free, so you'll get what you pay for, if nothing else, when you come. Plus, if you're a CUSP, you will get a CUSP point for coming to these. Um, but on top of that, think about in terms of sharpening the saw. Maybe these are, are two resources you might want to consider. Um, Stacy, thank you, has put the registration link for the next one of these webinars, which will be on March 9th. Um, I don't know, has anybody read the book, uh, Extreme Ownership? Uh, the Navy SEALs, Jocko and Leaf, Jocko Willett and, and Leaf Babbitt. Um, if you haven't, that will be the book that's covered in that article and that webinar. If you have, uh, I'm sure it would be a great review of some of the key points from that book. Um, and, and remember where we started there in this one, we talked about being proactive, circle of control, and, and that habit uh, is how this stops response-ability. What's the title of the next book that we're going to read? Extreme Ownership. Start to see a real key principle that we miss far too often as leaders in this industry, and especially as safety leaders in this industry, of response-ability and ownership and accountability and what those words means and how they're applied. So thank you all for being here. Uh, I look forward to hopefully seeing you in future IPI education events, decidedly in, in these frontline fundamentals, um, and, and hopefully at some point in person somewhere and whatnot. So uh, don't thank me, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you if you do check out the book, uh, if it's my book and or if it's Covey's book, please uh, go on Amazon or wherever and post some reviews of it. Let me know what you think. And uh, I will look forward to seeing everybody again in the future. Everybody stay safe and be well.